It's another week. It's another episode of the Dave Stoppages on Real Estate Experience Podcast. Well, welcome to another edition of the Dave Stoppages Real Estate Experience Podcast, Tiny Homes. Whew, hasn't that been a hot topic of conversation over recent weeks, especially if you've been uh, following some of our local elected members on uh, Facebook, uh, you'll see that this has become a uh, one of those issues that I think has the potential to transform the landscape of our suburbs uh, right before our very eyes and for the better. Um, but before we get too much into that, uh, my name's Dave Stockbridge. Thanks so much for joining me. Of course, um, if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so. It helps me enormously. And if you do love the content that I hope helps you make and save tens of thousands of dollars in real estate, then please uh, give me a five-star review. The more reviews, the better. It certainly helps me with my reach and to get this message out there. Um, because really my mission with all of this is to ensure that people out there have access to great quality uh, real estate information before they need it. Now, if you're better informed and you're able to make excellent decisions with respect to real estate, you will naturally be able to make and save thousands of dollars. And if I can help you coach you, you through that, then it's an absolute pleasure to do so. Never hesitate to reach out to me or come along to one of our meetups here at Fluid Solar House, where we're regularly uh, running uh, seminar evenings where uh, we Facebook live stream those off, often out as well. So uh, if you're here in-house, in studio, we can make that personal connection if you're unable to make it, then simply tune into the Facebook Lives. They're popping up regularly on a whole range of topics. Uh, our last one was very warmly received, which was with respect to uh, developing uh, property uh, and investing in property and how you can go about that. Now, I know that there's some gurus out there that are selling this information for $25,000 or uh, that are having you subscribe to their services for, in some cases, $500 a month. I'm giving all of this information away to you for free. Why am I doing that? Well, because I've, I've got the information and it's of no value if I keep it within, keep it within my, the confines of my brain. Uh, so if I can share that with you and I can put that value into the marketplace, not only will it help you, but I'm sure you'll have no hesitations in sharing it. And of course, that good karma can only come back in positive ways. So, tiny homes. Let me talk to you about that for a moment. Um, big topic of conversation. Why? Because it's just seeped through into the consciousness of our elected officials who are now examining it as an alternative uh, to uh, established uh, planning guidelines and paradigms. Uh, when you see what it is that, the, uh, for instance, the City of Plaith and the City of Salisbury have been um, endeavouring to create, which is communities that offer a range of uh, housing styles, um, it, it seems to make sense, um, or it seems that this is an idea of its time. So it wouldn't have been too long ago, and I certainly remember 20 years ago, where you wouldn't have a residential estate with townhouses. It would just seem counterintuitive. If you wanted a townhouse, then you'd simply move as close to the city, surely. Um, but And people would move to the suburbs for those larger allotments. Well, we've seen that trend change enormously. Um, and there's no better evidence of that than if you were to go out to the boardwalk uh, there at Paralawi and you have a look at the uh, beautiful properties that have been constructed out there. Uh, you've got townhouses being built on Tyneside allotments of around 80 odd square metres of land. And now 80 square metres of land is a tiny postage stamp of an allotment. 
Um, but yet, they've proven popular and sold very well. You go out to the city of Playford and uh, you'll see Playford Alive, for instance, um, uh, terrace homes uh, being constructed there with rear laneway access. Um, almost something alien to the suburbs uh, 10 or so years ago, but now being very warmly um, uh, received by the buying public. And those properties are selling and selling well um, as they become available. Um, as people are now looking at properties to fit their lifestyle and budget, rather than um, buying just, uh, I guess, what everybody else has. Um, if you go back, let's wind the clock back, say, 45 years, and we drive around the suburbs of uh, those uh, uh, areas that um, were built in that era, and you'll see that there's quite a generic housing style, quite a, a generic block size. So you've got, say, 750 square metre allotments, and uh, you've got 110 square metre houses there. As a matter of fact, the average house size built in 1975 was 110 square metres on a 750 square metre allotment. Fast forward to 2010, and the average uh, house size was... Uh, 250 square metres and the average allotment size was under 400 square metres. So you can see the trend emerging there. Of course, councils like that because that means smaller blocks, more more blocks, more council rates. But more, I think it's in keeping with the, the ever-changing needs of our community. We've certainly seen over the last 20 or 30 years this demand for different styles of home to uh, pop up in the suburbs. And, and so terrace homes, townhouses, villas and courtyards are no longer the preserve of um, simply uh, inner city living, but can be enjoyed almost in any new development anywhere uh, around the country. So tiny homes, where do they fit in? Well, they seem to be the next logical step. Um, now, the, the big pushback seems to be on the aesthetic side of things and the, the high density nature um, of uh, housing always receives some level of... Um, um, I guess, resistance uh, from those people that live nearby as their fears of uh, maybe uh, these uh, areas descending into a ghetto, um, which, by the way, are very rarely realised. But nonetheless, it is a genuine concern. So people do like the aesthetic of these little tiny homes. They love them because they're cute. Uh, often they've seen the ones on Facebook that uh, uh, have been built to almost look like little chapels and they seem quite innovative and they've got some really good use of space ideas and they seem to make the absolute most of every square inch of space that they've got. And, and people like the ingenuity that goes into uh, the creation of those properties. Some, some people like the idea or the concept of having a home they could actually build themselves as well. And, and a lot of these tiny homes... Um, do come in a flat pack and, and people are able to do that should they so wish. But then that brings up other issues of um, quality of construction, longevity of building. As these build, Often these tiny homes aren't built out of brick and mortar. Um, they are uh, built out of you know, less permanent uh, building materials. So where do they fit in? Why do they fit in? And why are they a great idea? Well, I feel that they fit in almost anywhere, especially um, in uh, closer to urban centres. Um, so, uh, and the reason for that is because my my fear my feel is that um, they suit not necessarily younger couples. Um, although they might serve as an entry point into the marketplace, I don't know if the younger couples are going to gravitate towards them. Why? Because younger couples seem to be very status-centred. Uh, in other words, they're, they're not just buying a home to live in, they're buying a home to show off to their friends and family. They want to show everybody where they're at in life. And when the, these properties just don't afford people the chance to 
show off. Um, so I don't know if it's going to um, be as appealing to the younger demographic. And I think that addresses one of the genuine concerns here is that these properties will be filled with young people, they'll be rented out, um, you'll have people that don't respect the, the common use of the space or, or whatever it might be, easily damage these properties because they're not built out of brick, etc. But I don't think that's really the target market. I don't think that they're the people that are going to gravitate towards this type of product, regardless of how affordable they might be. But I do see them filling a, a very specific niche. And I think that that's really the empty nesters. So the, my marketing hat being on, my real estate agent's hat being on, and if I had to sell these properties to someone, who would I sell them to? Well, I'd sell them to those people that are in their 50s, 60s, maybe even their 70s, where the, their adult children have now grown up, moved out of home, uh, have found themselves into a 250 square metre home on 450 square metres of land somewhere out there in suburbia. And they no longer have use for their own generous abode. And so, not only that, they're no longer so status-centred. Um, um, you know, they're quite happy with each other in life. They no longer feel the, a need to show off to others. As a matter of fact, more of their life is happening outside of the four walls of their property than um, is uh, otherwise. And so their engagement with the community serves um, a practical role um, as their work life uh, starts to tail, uh, trail away and their, um, and their need to engage with the community tends to grow. It makes sense to engage uh, these people and to encourage them to, into our urban centres. Why? Because not, they not only are they sociologically a better fit for a, a, a denser populated a more densely populated centre, um, economically, they have a higher level of disposable income than, say, their own children. Uh, whenever you have mortgages and kids, of course, you tend to be working to quite a, uh, a finite budget. But when the kids move out and you've got a bit of money aside because you've just sold your property and you've invested into something that's significantly smaller and you've got some play with your money. Also, you're still probably working in your 50s, 60s, and uh, well, and the government wants you to work into your 70s now. So that being the case, you're not earning any less when you're 65s than when you're 45. You'd probably at the top of your profession, at the peak of your uh, abilities, um, and certainly well-respected in your field, the chances are that you're income is going to be higher than what it was when you're 45, but you don't have the same responsibilities, especially when you cash out of the real estate market and you downsize into something smaller. Well, you've got that cash buffer behind you, but you've also got that constant flow of income now that you don't have to spend on kids. You might spend a little extra on the grandkids every now and again, birthday time and the like, but you've now got some disposable income. So you're more likely to eat out. You're more likely to go on holidays. You're more likely to spend your money uh, in the community with the travel agent or with the um, or, or down at the, the, the local pub or down at the cafe or uh, as you wine and dine with friends and family um, rather than spending your time confined to, uh, to, to your home. Uh, socially, uh, you tend to be uh, more likely to get out and amongst it uh, when you uh, don't have the kids around anymore. Um, but what, what means uh, that people don't do that? Well, normally because they're under financial duress, they don't go out because they can't afford it. Well, if you can afford it, if, the, if you are in your 50s and 60s and you've sold your home and the kids are no longer around to soak up any remaining cash that may be left in your wallet at the end of the day, well, what are you going to do with that money? Uh, you're probably going to spend it on yourself, doing stuff that you love doing. And for a lot of people, that's hanging out, 
locally, spending it down the coffee shop, spending a bit more time uh, buying higher quality produce uh, and uh, down at local shops and uh, supermarkets and basically uh, in investing that money in more of the things that you like and less of the things that, well, were really for others. So, so having tiny homes close to urban centres reinvigorates urban centres. Uh, it has the ability to be able to uh, encourage um, a, a, a stronger community. Um, it has a, a, a way of... Um, activating and creating safety and security around spaces that perhaps aren't so now. And, and by that, I mean there's plenty of spaces in urban centres uh, in metropolitan areas right now that, uh, you know, come nightfall, don't feel like they're the safest places to be. And part of that is because, and let's take John Street in Salisbury as a great example, um, it's, a, it's a commercial hub, but once all the shops and all the, uh, and the, uh, and the cafes and everything closes, it becomes a bit of a ghost town. And that's when it becomes a bit of a security um, issue. Um, and people feel less safe and, and they're less inclined to get out and amongst it. But if we encourage people um, uh, to build tiny homes with high disposable incomes, close to these urban centres, then they'll be, the, they'll be the people that are out and about. They'll be the people that are activating that space. They'll be the people that create an economy where shops and, and, uh, and cafes and restaurants are more likely to open later. And uh, they'll be the people that will be around and so uh, ensuring that the space is safer. So there's a whole lot of tangible reasons as to why this makes sense. There's a whole lot of economic reasons as to why this makes sense. There's a whole lot of lifestyle reasons why they make sense at all as well. So when you're considering the tiny home question, consider it in the context of other economic benefits. And there absolutely is. Is there quality of life improvements for the people that are buying these properties? Absolutely there is. And, and does it positively affect the property values around it? Well, if you've got a more active economy, you've got a safer community, and you've got people who are more engaged in that community, then of course it's going to have a positive flow on to property values around it. So that's the criteria that I set as to whether or not tiny homes are a good thing. Not only that, but they look cute. They, they, they can be done in a very, very cool way. And I think it's really just the aesthetic issue once we've addressed that criteria that we need to consider how is it that we want these properties to look and how can they better complement our streetscapes in our inner urban centres. I'm Dave from Real Dem. My thoughts on tiny homes. I hope you appreciate the podcast. I hope you like the information that I share. I hope you uh, enjoy the insights that I provide. Uh, moreover, uh, please, I, I am a local real estate agent. If ever you need any real estate advice whatsoever, whether you're thinking of buying or selling or just planning out your future, give me a call, send me a message, uh, comment below. Uh, I'll appreciate your contact and do all I can to assist you. Have yourself a wonderful week and I look forward to being with you next time. Dave Stockbridge's Real Estate Experience Podcast is brought to you by the Influencers and Innovators Podcast, proudly supported by Matthew Norris Visual Productions. I'm Dave Stockbridge. Thanks so much for joining us once again, and we'll look forward to speaking with you next week.